Hey, what's going on, good people? It's Gardner Douglas, your oyster ninja. I'm here with a legend in the making. The one and only Imani Black. <laughs> what's up, Imani? Uh, hi, Gardner. How are you? What's so funny? I was uh, just speaking the truth. No, <laughs> I think I just, uh, I'm still trying to receive all like the good comments of legend, the making trailblazer, all those things. So anytime I hear it, I just like, you know, do a little chuckle and just like keep nodding my head. Like, okay. Yeah. One of these days I'll, I'll believe it. But right now I'm still in my like fledgling stages of it. I like trailblazer. Trailblazer sounds good too. <laughs> well with that you know i i realize you know with trailblazer and legend like there there needs to be some action behind it so every time i hear it i'm like oh okay well there you go like i got work to do <laughs> i gotta keep that title and for the folks who haven't heard of you imani um i'm just gonna say that you created the nonprofit, right Nonprofit. We got uh, minorities um, and aquaculture. Is that the whole word? Is it a longer? Nope, that's it. Minorities and aquaculture. Yep. Easy, simple. It says it all. Um, but just um, tell me a little bit, first of all, why you created minorities and aquaculture and how has it changed your life? And yeah, let's just start there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I you know, I created Minorities in Aquaculture back in technically in June of, of 2020. And I really had the idea kind of started starting in my head back in January of 2020. Um, and so that was like kind of in the midst of, you know, the Black Lives Matter and police brutality and everything that was going on in our country. And of course, as a person of color, um, I was, you know, indirectly affected by everything that was going on. And so I just started, and, you know, diversity and inclusion, um, you know, it's been buzzwords for a while, but especially last year, they were huge things. And, you know, there were things that people were kind of calling forward in a lot of, in a lot of situations. And so I just started like looking um, in my own space and really asking myself, like, well, is like my, you know, is the places that influence me daily, are they promoting diversity and inclusion? And um, and so, yeah, I just, you know, kind of realized that there was a lack of diversity in aquaculture and, um, you know, I've been an oyster farmer for about five years and I had never worked with another, you know, person of color, male or female, um, in a, that were, that was like in a leadership role. And so I just started asking people around me, like, when is the last time you saw a person of color, like as a hatchery manager or as an assistant manager or anything like that, and nobody could give me an answer. And I was asking people from all different ranges of experience. And um, it wasn't until one of my mentors, um, who's got 35 plus years of experience in aquaculture, when I asked him, um, and he couldn't give me an answer, I realized that this was something that um, I needed, that was like a lot bigger than me. And then what really gave me kind of the push to do it was, I, you know, uh, thankfully, a lot of like oyster organizations were, you know, putting out statements of um, the Black Lives Matter and police brutality and, you know, just kind of trying to bring the aquaculture community together. And, um, you know, there was one part of those statements of, 
you know, we're going to have conferences and forums and discussions about how to make aquaculture more diverse. And um, the first time that I read that, I was like, wow, well, how are people that don't look like the target audience going to, you know, be able to, you know, reach these, these people that um, are need to be in aquaculture. And so I just was like, well, okay, here's all the information. And <laughs> you kind of have to, you know, take, take it with, take it with like the, the vision of kind of what you want for your life. And I just was like, you know, I, I wanted to create a space um, for people of color, specifically black women that wanted to get into aquaculture that would give them a one, a step into the door with opportunities, but also would provide them with the longevity of resources, not just kind of because diversity and inclusion were buzzwords, but because um, the lack of diversity in aquaculture is just more than just trying to get more people in aquaculture. It's the focal point of our sustainable seafood and it affects everybody. So everybody should kind of have the space to be exposed and educated about it and be able to impact it in their, in their own way. So yeah, long story short, I, I, uh, I just um, launched in October of 2020. So it's been about five months now and it's like really changed, (laughs) changed my life. Like um, I never really thought that I would do anything like this. You know, even if you told me this two years ago, or even, you know, in the beginning of 2020, I would have never even imagined. And I probably wouldn't believed if anyone had told me I would have done any of this stuff. So um, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. And, you know, I'm just so happy and just so grateful for the positive response that I've gotten um, just all around, not just in the agriculture community, but in environmental organizations, you know, uh, all over the country. So that, that, that's a lot. That's a, that's a handful. I know, okay? I know. <laughs> you can hear me okay, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So what I got from that is your total rock star, your trendsetter. <laughs> what was that you say? Trailblazer. Uh, um, all of that. That's that's cool and crazy all at the same time. So yeah. that's mind-blowing. So how <laughs> has this put you in uh uncomfortable situations and not in a negative way but made you push forward and do things that you thought you never would have did or accomplished yeah I mean it really just it started with that first decision of really feeling uncomfortable about like where my career was going and like what I was actually seeing in my own um in my own like kind of journey of of oyster farming and it was in that decision of which I, at the time I didn't, I did not think that it was going to be as big as it's been now, but, um, you know, I made the first step and, you know, they always say that the first step is the hardest. So now it's, it's kind of felt like they're not uncomfortable situations. It's more of like, um, I have a vision now in mind. So it's like, let's step towards the vision. Like, let's keep stepping towards, um, the goal here. Like, what can we do? Um, on this level and what what can we do on this level and you know um, 2020 was such a powerful year for me and not just in the sense of making this big step but in the sense of like really trying to figure out like what was really important to me not just by being an oyster farmer Um, it was you know I realized that it was a lot more than that and that I loved what I was doing because I had my own type of legacy uh, that was engraved in it 
and now learning all of like my family history and all the generations and kind of how being a waterman is, is really in my blood. Um, it just makes the, the steps more, uh, count more. Um, so I don't really think of it as like uncomfortable situations, but as powerful opportunities to be able to continue the conversation and to be able to make sure that diversity and inclusion have a long jet, like, like a longer impact than just like right now as like being a cool thing that people kind of want to do and strive for and all that stuff. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, about your upbringing and how uh, working on the water has been in your family? Yeah. Um, well, I grew up on the Eastern shore of Maryland, um, Chestertown uh, specifically. And I've, you know, ever since I was seven years old, like I've wanted to be in working in the environment. I didn't actually know what I wanted to do, but from a very young age, you know, I was exposed to like environmental camps and space camps. And, you know, my, you know, my dad's really into fishing. So, um, you know, we would go fishing a lot as a family and I was just around the water all the time. And, you know, that's a great thing about living in a coastal community is that it's kind of engraved in us when you're around here to kind of be on the water, to love the water in some type of capacity, whether it's in eating or in recreation or commercial. Um, so it's kind of like second nature. And it wasn't until later that, you know, I realized that my mom actually realized with our genealogy that um, we have a legacy of watermen dating back all the way to the 1800s in these exact spots that we were growing up. And so learning about that was, was great. You know, um, it skipped a few generations, you know, I have, um, for a very long time when I was growing up, I was, uh, in lack of better words, like a black sheep because, you know, my family was nurses and doctors and my mom, you know, is a very accomplished parole and probation officer of, of 25 years. And my dad is a, a psychiatric nurse. And so they are engraved into their own professions and, um, and they do well in them. And so when I kind of came out and was like, I want to do environmental work, they were like, you want to do what? <laughs> and I just was like, yeah. And I, you know, I did this camp at, at Horn Point, um, you know, in Cambridge, Maryland, when I was uh, in 2003. And that was like, that camp was like kind of my first real introduction into like Chesapeake Bay restoration. You know, we learned about oysters and blue crabs and striped bass and submerged aquatic vegetation and that I mean my mom likes to joke now that like when I when she dropped me off I was like really timid and scared to to go and then when she picked me up I could not stop talking about well we need to like recycle and this is what we need to do like mom we need to go to the store and you know when we're washing our cars we don't wash them like in the driveway wash them in the grass so the the nutrients and the toxics like get you know absorbed in the soil they don't go into our waters and I just was so fascinated by it. And, you know, and then once I really started to learn about my own family connection, I was like, oh, okay. So like, maybe like, I'm just bringing the family back full circle. Like at this point, um, I'm not, you know, kind of on this array journey. And even if I was, my family supported me anyway, but it just makes it even more special that, you know, I'm doing something that my ancestors, you know, were really successful at as well. Right. So you really set a, a mouthful there, um, <laughs> especially with the, the going to the camps and learning early. Mm -hmm. um, I think that has a huge impact on young people and people in general, but just learning early 
about the environment, the ecosystem. So just how do you think we can reach younger kids? Because I think that could have a bigger impact, a larger impact on their life. Yeah, that's been one of my biggest things with minorities and Ankara culture is really trying to, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's, it's ever going to be like too early, you know, like we really have to start educating kids, like you said, at a very young age about one, how does your environment affect you? And then how are you affecting your environment? And it's just like as simple things as like, when you turn on your water, like, where does that come from? And where you turn on your shower, like, where does that water come from? Because then once we start, you know, doing and educating about everyday life effects of the environment, then we can start really setting the spark of, okay, well, if my environment is affected or if I'm affected by this pollution or whatever, then how about like the animals and the other marine organisms that are affected by this pollution? And so you just really, I think one of my biggest things for me that I've learned is that we have to really start meeting people where they are with their environmental education. You know, we, you know, that we, people have a lot of great programs that kind of jumps a few steps and yeah, like, it's really cool, but especially like, you know, inner city kids, they don't see the water every day. They don't really make the connection of the environment every day. So if we started early of really like understand, helping them understand like what's going on around them, then they're going to start being invested in what's going on in other parts that they don't see every day. And then wanting to learn about them and hopefully like sparking that so that they can also make effective changes as well. Bravo, bravo. I've had <laughs> some uh, wise people on here, but I tell you, can, can I ask how old you are, Armani? I'm 26. <laughs> 26 tools are doing. Man. <laughs> uh, I know a lot of I know a lot of people my age like would get really upset about that, but I take it with so much gratitude because it is, you know, I've done a lot of like work on myself to do this. Like, you know, I haven't been um, you know, the most confident or like the most like anything, you know, being a person of color in uh, mostly, you know, uh, non-person of color fields or, you know, white fields, it's, it's been hard. So I've had to try to work through those things. So anytime someone's like, how old are you? Or like, where did you learn any of this stuff? I'm like, thank you so much for noticing because it's not easy. <laughs> so <laughs> Can you just talk a little bit about that feeling? Um, not a lot of people can connect with that. And of course I can because I'm right here with you, you know, yeah. and just being in those rooms where you're the only person that, you know, a person yeah. of color. So can mm -hmm. you just talk a little bit about that feeling and how it makes you feel and what can we do to change it? Yeah, I mean, so it, it's a, my, I feel like my journey has been a little bit, you know, different. I've had to really navigate it in a different way because I grew up in, you know, white, predominantly white, a predominantly white community. I've played, you know, I played lacrosse like all throughout my whole life and field hockey. And then I played lacrosse in college. So a lot of my spaces have been predominantly white. Um, so I was kind of like my, in my journey, it was, I had the, 
the mindset of like, well, you know, I'm not thinking about race. Like I, I never wanted to be like a person's like black friend or black girlfriend or black coworker. I just wanted to be a friend, great person. You know, I, I just wanted to be upfront who I was. And it's been hard to really separate those two things because, you know, first time when I walk into a room, people only see my skin color, you know, whether my personality is good or not, they will always, you know, some people will always prejudge me for my skin color. And I've had to like be okay with that and be like, well, that's on them. That's not on me. Because when I walk into a room, I don't see skin color. I'm trying to find out your true colors. Um, but Whoa. it's been Oh, Hermione. <laughs> you can just drop no bar like that. You just keep going. Whoa. Okay. All right. You want to see the true color. Okay. I'm yeah. sorry. No, no. It's, it's, but it's true. It's like, I've always just really wanted, I'm, I'm such a people's person. Like I've, I love connecting with people. And so automatically you know yeah like everybody knows this color like it's it's really I feel like it's like really irresponsible to say like I don't see color but because it helps you with your experience but and understanding other people's experiences but with mine it was like I kind of was conditioned a little bit just based off the environments that I was in to kind of sit in this like token black girl space and once I, you know, and I didn't really realize it at the time, but it was affecting me a lot more than I actually, actually like put on or actually like was, you know, admitting to myself. Um, because like I said, like, I'm, yeah, I'm black first, but I'm also a human most importantly. And um, yeah, it's just been, I, I've really had to work through like, okay, well, like, who am I as like, as a black person, you know, I, I've been, you know, the whole like, oh, well, you act white or you don't talk black or whatever that all of that has been said to me. And I've really had to be like, well, find out what your own definition of being black is. There is no textbook definition about what being a, a black is. So it's your definition is how you show up. And once I figured that out, it was like game over. I can be anybody who I want to be. I'm acting the way that I want to act. I'm showing up the way that I want to show up because that is authentically me and that's all I can be. I can't be anybody else. Whether I've been influenced by white, you know, predominantly white spaces or not, I can't change that, um, you know? And so I've been, it's been really powerful though to connect with other like African-American women outside of my family because, um, you know, I've really realized that we all are kind of battling that definition of what being black is. So this has nothing to do with oysters, but I guess it kind of has something to do with, you know, minorities of aquaculture. Mm -hmm. But any tips that you could give, you know, somebody of color or the minority, just how to, I'm not going to say find yourself, but just be there. So. Right. Well, to be yourself, you have to know yourself. That's point blank. Um, I, I say I, I'm such a big, you know, advocate for 
when you know and really know, I don't mean like know like what your favorite colors are or whatever like that. But I mean, like when you truly sit down with yourself and this was something I had to do in 2020 that was so powerful for me. I really had to sit down with myself and be like, is this the life that you want? And one, like, how did you get here in this moment today? Pros and cons. How have you been showing up in a really good way? And how have you been showing up in really irresponsible or like not true ways? And some of them were really hard. Like I had to really break up with the mindset and kind of like the core belief of some of those things that had been told to me all, you know, my whole life. Um, but once I did that, I felt so, I mean, I know that I sound, you know, you say I sound pretty profound for 26, but at 25 years old, or I'm at 26th birthday, actually, this past September, sadfully, but also great, you know, thankfully, that was the first time that I ever felt like Imani Black, point blank. Like, I felt so true in myself because I took the time to really, like, say, like, okay, here's where your weaknesses are. Here's what you're good at. Here's where you're, you know, you really need to, like, uh, study up more. And once I did that, nobody can tell me anything about myself that I don't already know. So my biggest advice to, you know, young people of color is get to know yourself because if somebody says, oh, well, like you're lazy, you're this, you're that, be like, I already know. I already know. You can't tell me. And I mean, self-talk. Oh, you got it. Like, <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> like at this point, it's like, that's really like, you know, one of my biggest things is like, you know, people, um, you know, one of my examples is like when people say like, oh, like, oh, Imani, you're so dramatic. Yeah, you're right. And I'm about to be dramatic for the next five minutes. So just hold on tight. <laughs> I already know this process. So like, I, I can't, you know, I'm really trying to work on it. Thank you so much for bringing my attention. But I got like, I know, you know, they say that self-talk can be either, you know, the most positive thing that you can say to yourself or the most negative things. And when I look at it, I'm like, I've said some really hurtful and nasty things to myself. Am I really going to give somebody else that power? to dismantle everything that I've just built up based off of like what I already know, just because it's coming out of somebody else's mouth. Like, no, you know, it's like kind of like an armor of like, nobody can tell me anything that I already know about myself <laughs> at this point. Preach. Wow. <laughs> I usually leave the deep stuff for the, the end of the podcast, <laughs> but I think we don't hit all of it. <laughs> you know I've been wait. You know I've been waiting for this conversation, Gardner. You know that I've been like waiting for us to have this deep conversation from the get go. I know, <laughs> I know. And I, it's crazy because like I just want to say first of all, I, sometimes I feel like I need like multiple podcasts because I want to have so many conversations with so many different people and yeah. just bigger than oysters, you know. And you know what? I'm going to put this out to the listeners. If you want to hear not just oyster stuff, but just mm-hmm. life stuff, yeah, send me an email, oysterninjapc at gmail.com. I mean, because like, I, I got so many questions for people, and usually I wait till like we get offline mm-hmm. and I'll just ask questions and you know about life because mm-hmm. it's not just about oysters, but I don't want to bore people either because I'm just real inquisitive. Right. Um, but yeah. All right. Let's get back to this. I'm done. I'm done. This is how you make a podcast. I don't know. Um, it's okay. Everyone <laughs> keeps saying that, like, Imani, you should have a podcast. You should have a podcast. And I'm like, 
yeah, that'd be really cool because I just like talk to people all day, but like where what with what time at this right. point? So oh, if you do it, if you do it, I'm a listen to it because that's what I've also been like searching for too. I hope you just saw that light bulb go off. <laughs> um we got some we can't say it out loud though. I'll talk to you offline. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, oh yeah. My narrative is vocal. Okay. Uh, so let's just talk about your oyster. Um, just growing, not growing up, but um, working on an oyster farm. How was that for you? It was great. Um, my first introduction in aquaculture was in the uh, oat program at Virginia Institute of Marine Science in 2016. Um, so yeah, that was like a six month boot camp of just learning everything about hatchery, nursery and farm and that, you know, and even lab work. And that was my first like introduction of just like really understanding like what aquaculture was. Um, from there, I went on to an oyster farm, uh, in Gloucester, Virginia, um, where I was like working mostly on the farm, but a little bit in the hatchery, um, and that was <laughs> that was my first experience with like, working with 15 guys and being the only woman. Um, that was its own experience. And but I think that that experience was necessary because that really set me up for kind of the rest of uh, my career of, of being in a male dominated field. But um, yeah. And so then in 2017, at like, you know, middle of 2017, I moved back home to Maryland. And took a little bit of break uh, from aquaculture and um, started working for like the state of Maryland doing environmental specialist work. And then after that, I was just like, I love, you know, that job and everyone was great there, but I was just like, this is not what I want to do. <laughs> like I kind of, um, you know, sadly. So like when I, my first day there in my head, I was like, I probably won't be here longer than a year. <laughs> Cause I kind of knew like, this really isn't what I want to do. Even though it was really fun, I learned a lot of things. But what, thankfully, after that, um, you know, I, I got back into aquaculture working for uh, Hooper's Island Oyster Company, which is the per first privately owned hatchery uh, in Cambridge, Maryland. And I worked there for the past like two and a half years, just being, you know, uh, hatchery tech, lead hatchery technician at first, and then uh, assistant hatchery manager um, for the last year and a half. Um, so, yeah, it, it's been great. Like I've learned a lot, but there's so much to learn in aquaculture. It's like, you can never really feel like, you know, you really got it like all together. And, you know, I never claimed to know a lot about aquaculture, but the really good thing about how I'm really trying to set up minorities in aquaculture is that I'm learning with other people too. So um, actually like a couple months ago, I went up to Hudson, New York um, to work on a land-based fish farm because I had never worked in fish aquaculture um, so I was working with steelhead trout and that was the first time I had done anything other than oysters. And the great thing about aquaculture is that there's so many different aspects that you can kind of jump in and see what you like. But most importantly, you can see what you don't like. Aquaculture is a very, um, you know, just like being in oysters in general is a very like labor intensive, long days, early mornings type of gig. If you don't love it, it's going to be miserable. So it's really important to like figure out what you love to do and what you don't love to do. So it's really kind of been my journey so far in like this new stage of my career. So far as like resources and people who want to, I guess, follow your footsteps, 
like how does minorities of vocal culture help other minorities coming into the business? Yeah, so, um, you know, for a, a little bit there, I I was really struggling with um, like, who do I like directly target, you know? And I, I just like, kind of, like I said, I was really staying true to myself. Well, like I'm a, I'm a black woman, so, okay. And, uh, you know, that fact of, which is, uh, I don't know if you've like heard, but there's this fact going around that's been thrown at me a, a few times here that like, I'm the only African-American woman from Maryland to Texas to be participating in aquaculture, which I don't know if I totally believe, but <laughs> a lot of people seem to believe that. And so I don't take it lightly. And so it's been my mission to really understand what are the barriers of a minority getting into aquaculture, because I understand that my experience has been really privileged. I know a lot of people don't have access to boats or, you know, whatever, even as a minority, you can still be privileged other like over other minorities and their access to the waterways. So it's really, for me, it's been really understanding what are the true barriers, but also like, I don't want to dictate anybody else's career, you know, like it's not a one size fits all, you know, me being a perfect example of that. um, I kind of got into aquaculture, like really unconventionally, but I just want to be a door of opportunities. I want to be a support system. I want to empower women and just say like, Hey, like, you know, this is a career. I don't know if you knew that, that this is a viable career. Um, and I know that everyone's not going to want to be an oyster farmer. So like, let's find something that truly fits for you. And like, you come to me or like, we talk about like what your passions are, what your goals are for your life. And like, let's try to figure out a game plan. And while we're figuring out that game plan, I'm providing, you know, the resources, um, paid internships, mentorships, um, and not just with myself, but with other partners and connections that I've created through minorities and aquaculture. Cause like I said, I don't know everything. So if I have a girl who's like, I want to get into kelp farming, you know, I've met some really great kelp farmers. I didn't even know kelp farming was like a big thing, but it is. And I'm learning that, you know, you can do recipes with it and all this other stuff. So if I have a girl that's like, I want to do kelp farming and like call up my connection say, Hey, I've got this girl. What can we do? Can we figure out something? And like, just send her on her way, send her out to get those experiences. So that's just really how I've been trying to help one finding minorities and, you know, people think that there's these like secret minorities that are like in aquaculture that they just, you know, aren't online or something like that. And they've, people have come to me with like job announcements and like, Hey, like, can you send this out to your, to your girls? And I'm like, what girls? I'm like, not trying to be rude, but I'm like, what girl, what girls are you talking about? Cause as I've heard recently, I've been, I'm the only one. So I'm trying to create a, even a list of where are these minority women at? And now it's been really great because a lot of that, you know, a lot of black women are really stepping out and saying like, no, we are in marine science. Um, but yeah, getting them in aquaculture is, um, is my biggest thing. So you know, I, I just want to give them that exposure overall. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, so she's, what can, what can we do? Like, what do you think? What do you got going on? What's next for you? Oh yeah. There's a ton of things going on. You know, um, I such a, I'm such an active, um, and, and not even going to be shy, but I have an active ADD brain. So I've got like, 
millions of ideas <laughs> flooding through, through my head on not just minorities in aquaculture, but, uh, you know, all these like, you know, really cool things that, uh, you know, I'm trying to do and I'm trying to mainstream my focus right now because like I said, my active brain would have me going in like 15 different directions. So I'm trying to put those on the, the other things on a dream board and just focus on school and minorities and aquaculture. And right now, like I'm just looking for partners to facilitate internships. I'm looking for women, you know, black women that want to get into um, that just like kind of want to explore aquaculture, just even want to have a conversation about it. Um, I'm, you know, don't, you know, I, I've been so grateful for people's like donations. You know, I really want one of the barriers of minorities getting into marine sciences is the lack of fi finances. So I kind of want, if I can, it's it's going to be my goal and it is my goal continuously to eliminate some of those barriers. So like, okay, cool. You need a pair of boots. I got you. you need some oil skins. I got you. Like you need transportation to get to that internship. I got you. Hotel. No problem. Like I want to be able to just eliminate some of those barriers so that people can just have experiences and then just like go, you know, take that experience. And like, like I said, just create their own success for their own career. Beautiful. So when you're uh, dead and gone, <laughs> RIP, Imani was a great one. Um, what do you want people to think? What's your legacy? What do you want to leave behind? Oh, uh, I think, you know, I, I, I think one of the things that I, I want to leave behind definitely is just like, I want people to, to kind of say like, she was really compassionate. Like she was like really, you know, trying to genuinely and authentically help people. Um, and, you know, and in that, she was really understanding and really wanted to understand not just like people on a service level, but like people on a really like intimate personal life journey level, um, you know, that she really, really promoted and really advocated for genuine human connection um, because she felt like that was going to push us forward and really bridging the gap between or what people think about bridging the gap between minorities and marine sciences or predominantly white fields and and you know other things like that so yeah I think that would probably be the the biggest thing is that yeah I was just like really compassionate <laughs> easy enough <laughs> yeah I don't know that question's like that question's hard because I won I don't really have time to to think about <laughs> I try not to I you know with all these like great things happening um it's, you know, when I have an opportunity and say it's a, like a bigger scale, you know, as soon as I read the email, the name of like what, who's actually contacting me slips to the back. And I'm like, it's just an interview because I know that if I'm like, oh, I'm doing this or, oh, this story's coming out and that's going to be really big. I'm going to start getting like overwhelmed by like what the legacy is trying to look like or like what I'm building you know I just wanted to happen organically so <laughs> I haven't really thought about like what the legacy would be also because I didn't really I wasn't trying to be the first I wasn't trying to be a trailblazer it just kind of happened right <laughs> okay so um first of all do you have any more swag left 
Ooh, I got a little bit, but um, merch drop happening summer 2021. So hold on to your lats, ladies and ladies and gents, because uh, I'm coming out hot with some new stuff. <laughs> cool. All right. I so gotta just... keep up with you though, because oh, you, you, you be dropping, you be drop, you be dropping some really cool swag. I'm like, all right, Gardner. Hey, um, it, don't, it don't count if it's not selling. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> great, great. Um, so, uh, oh yeah, so how can the good people reach out to you, get in contact with you, uh, follow what you're doing, and of course get your merch? Yeah, um, well, all announcements happen on the Instagram, which is M-I-A-N-P-O. It's just Minority Culture Nonprofit. That just so happens, M-I-A-N-P-O, just so happens to be the website also, but it's M-I-A-N-P-O.org. Um, and that, you know, that you can find the donation button there. That's where you can also find my email. Um, but yeah, just you can send me an email on Instagram or a message on Instagram uh, or Facebook, any of the social medias besides Twitter, because I honestly thought Twitter was going to die out, but it hasn't yet. <laughs> So yeah, any other social media I'm on <laughs> for minorities in agriculture. Cool, cool. Well, thank you so much, Imani. I appreciate you gracing the Oyster Ninja podcast. <laughs> Just killing it, trailblazing all over the place. Oh, <laughs> uh, appreciate thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Um, that's it. That's all. That's the episode. Awesome. Woo! I've been on the Oyster Ninja podcast. Yeah. No doubt. All right.